And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode two of Random Tandem, the double feature generator podcast. Paul, Ron, good to see you again. Great to see you. It's been a minute. It's it's been it's been two weeks. Exactly two weeks. Right. So for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're releasing new episodes on the first and third Mondays of each month. So every two weeks, approximately, depending on how. Those wacky end of the month shape up. Sometimes there's an extra Monday in there, but basically, right? Basically, twice a month, bi-monthly. Bi-monthly is a weird word because it could mean twice a month or every two months, or a month that's also into weeks. (laughs) Hey, all right, yes. But we're back, and for those of you who didn't listen to episode one, I'm sorry, that joke was the dumbest thing I've ever said, and the most brilliant thing I've ever said. <laughs> that's why you're here, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. And that's why all of our four listeners love you. <laughs> so, so <laughs> sorry, shit, sorry. And Paul is just over there. I mean, <laughs> okay. Just wrecking the place. Wrecking the place. All right. So the uh, concept of this podcast is fairly simple. Mm-hmm. At the end of each episode, we'll randomly generate a word. We'll each go our separate ways, come back two weeks later, and we'll have some movie picks that in some way relate to that word. We'll each come up with one runner-up, and then we'll each nominate our entry for the double feature related to that word. And last week's episode, or I'm sorry, our premiere episode two weeks ago, was based around the word gloss. And Paul, your main pick for gloss was... Lipstick and Dynamite. Lipstick and Dynamite. And mine was Westworld. At the end of that episode, we generated a new word for this episode. And we ended up with helmet. 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 So... I missed my cue there. I'm sorry. You're still learning, Paul. I am. It's okay. We're going with helmet this week. Um, not as many ways you could go, at least kind of ostensibly, with helmet as you could with gloss. Because right. gloss is one of those terms that you can kind of interpret in multiple ways. Helmet is a thing you wear on your head for protection. That's really it. That's... If there's another definition out there, I'm not aware of it. Yeah. Or I didn't bother looking it up on Google. So helmet is what we've got to work with this week. And... We want to start off with our runners up. Yeah. Why don't you start with your runners your runner up? My runner up. Because I, I think because we had talked a little bit beforehand, I think I've conf- confused what your main feature is and your your runner up. Okay. So I'll go first this right. time. Uh, my runner up for helmet is Mel Brooks, nineteen sixty eight film, The Producers. Actually I I remember it correctly, but I'm sorry. Go, <laughs> go ahead. You're fired. <laughs> Yes! <laughs> so Mel Brooks, The Producers, 1968, starring, obviously, the late, great Gene, Gene Wilder. Wilder. And I picked this, The Connection to Helmet, right? So for those of you who haven't seen this film, A, what is wrong with you? Uh, Seriously. B, the premise, in a nutshell, is there's this uh, Broadway producer. You remember his name? 
Max Bialystock. Yes. So yes. he's a producer, uh, kind of on hard times, having uh, trouble raising money for new new productions. And his accountant is played by Gene Wilder, plays Leo Bloom, and together they conspire. Basically, Gene Wilder's character realizes that if you raised a bunch of money for a uh, production and it failed, then you wouldn't have to pay back the investors. Right. Right. You could kind of pocket the difference. So they said, well, what if we came up with like the greatest failure of all time? Yes. Got tons and tons of money invested in this. We intentionally <clears throat> sabotaged it so that it wouldn't be a success. And then we could make a bunch of money. We could keep the difference. So here's how Helmet comes in. They're reading a bunch of scripts, right, that, mm-hmm. were, that were in Max's office, and they're trying to find the worst one, and this is going to be the one that they make into a production. Right. And they go with something called Springtime for Hitler, <laughs> written by this, like, crazy Nazi. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> his, uh, what was his name? His uh, character's name was Franz uh, uh, Liebkind, I think it yes, was. Yes, I believe so. And he wears a helmet through much of the film. Mm-hmm. So that's what made me think helmet, the he, producer. He wears like the, the classic Stormtrooper yeah. helmet. Not, yeah, but. Yeah, and so I love this movie. I think it's brilliant. I'm not even a huge Mel Brooks fan, actually. You mentioned that, I think, on Twitter the other yeah. day. I, I was a little s- s- sort of surprised by that. I respect him, and I think he's brilliant. I think his writing is really good. Yeah. But there's just something that doesn't connect with me when I'm actually watching most of his films. Like, yeah. I watched, uh, or I, I rewatched rather, Blazing Saddles the other day. Mm-hmm. Since the first, I mean, that was probably the first time I'd seen it since I was a kid. Yeah. And I just constantly felt, oh, this is clever. Oh, this is clever. That's right. smart. Yeah. But I wasn't laughing. You know, I wasn't like moved. You know, this is odd because I... I rewatched Blazing Saddles a couple of years ago and I had I had sort of the same reaction. There there were some parts I, I laughed mm-hmm. at, but for the most part and I don't I'm not sure if it's because I I've I've seen it so so often that yeah, you, you that don't really have the, the comedic yeah. factor at play anymore. But yeah, no that's that's absolutely true. So that was my pick. Uh and I actually do like this film. I, I yeah. like as far as Mel Brooks's oeuvre goes. This is probably one of my favorite of his. I think it's a great, great performances. Yeah. Gene Wilder is amazing, yeah. especially like that one scene where he has that kind of like nervous breakdown. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. great. I think it's his second, like, his second best movie next to Young Frankenstein. Yeah. I would put that one up there too. Yeah. That's one that I really appreciate. And maybe one of the reasons I like Young Frankenstein so much is because it's not played for those like belly laughs as much it's not as much like the kind of slapstick type of thing that you see in like blazing saddles right other things like that it's it's one of those parody films that's i I think of like young frankenstein in the same way as like sean the sean the dead and 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 hot fuzz where they're Mm. you forget you're watching a parody movie and and you you actually do have some investment in the characters yeah yeah yeah, it just has that extra kind of dimension to yeah, it, where totally. it's not just totally. joke after joke. Right. One interesting fact before we get to your runner-up mm-hmm. about the producers. So I mentioned that character Franz Liebkind, who yeah. wears the helmet, who wrote the script for Springtime for Hitler. Did you know that that character was originally supposed to be played by Dustin Hoffman? No. And the only reason that, based on what I've read, 
The only reason that Mel Brooks let Dustin Hoffman go off to audition for the film that he would eventually take instead, thus leaving the producers, was because he thought there was no way Dustin Hoffman would get that part. Yeah. And that film was The Graduate. Get out. Yeah. That's crazy. Could you imagine if Dustin Hoffman had played that Nazi character instead of his character wow. in The Graduate? How wow. different his career probably would have been. That's It's like one of those classic like what-ifs mm-hmm. of, of Hollywood or anything else. Like, yeah. You know, like how, how different the, the timeline would be if Dustin Hoffman's not in The Graduate. Right? Is The Graduate then like a great film or is it a... Just right. an afterthought. Yeah. And it's Dustin Hoffman, like a character actor. And there were apparently lots of people up for that role in The Graduate. Hmm. Um, I thought, and I could totally be misremembering, but I want to say like maybe Warren Beatty was up for it. I do sort of, yeah, that sounds familiar. And I think a whole list of people actually. Huh. But anyway, that's my runner up, the producers. What's your runner up for Helmet, Paul? For Helmet, I went with uh, All Quiet and... Quite in the Western Front from 1930, the um, the film version of Remarks, Ray Remarks' novel of, of the same name, based on his experiences in the Western Front in World War II, fighting for the German Army. Um, it's not nearly as funny yeah. as <laughs> as Springtime, but as we mentioned in the premiere episode, yeah. right? That sometimes we like you know palate cleansing, right, 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 right. So I would recommend. Watching All Quiet in the Western Front, being depressed mm-hmm. because it's a depressing movie, mm-hmm. and then watching Springtime for Hitler, which is funnier and, and lighter. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a touch. Yeah. I mean, they're Germans in both. And speaking of which, that's another thing both of those films have in common. They were both banned in Germany. Yes. At least for a right. time. Right. So there you go. There's yeah. a little trivia that you can drop on your friends. There you go. Some some knowledge, share mm-hmm. some knowledge with your with your friends. But um, for me, this is a movie that um, it, it it has a stiffness to it. I was thinking about this. It, it, it is it's in that board or that that threshold between silent film and then sound film and and the you know the, there's that weird moment where like they haven't perfected you know it's really still like theater acting yeah but being recorded on right, film. Right, right. Yeah. And so there's a lot of close-ups. There's a lot of... But also doing... Yeah, like classic theater acting. and mm-hmm. um, But also the sound is not quite up to snuff where sure. it should be. But sure. there's some just really amazing scenes for a 1930s film. And again, pre-code. Yeah. So you don't have the, you know, the, the Hayes Code coming in mm-hmm. and the, the dictating what films should and should not have. But... Um, so in some ways really kind of showed the promise of this new medium or relatively yeah, new medium. Absolutely. Like this could be its own thing yeah. and do remarkable. Yeah. And, and fairly unflinching. I mean, the novel mm-hmm. is, is very anti-war. Um, and I, I think it also relates to, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people post-World War One were just yeah horrified of war. And, and there's some scenes that are just... You can see traces of Saving Private Ryan and The Red Badge of Courage mm-hmm. and other other films that have a very f- unfleeting or un, yeah. uh, un, unromantic, romanticized view of, of war. And um, or you think of like the Odessa Steppe sequence in uh, Poptankin. Yeah, yeah, in Battleship Abs- Absolutely, absolutely. Like, I mean, just I don't want to necessarily categorize these films as propaganda, but they have that kind of power to affect right which goes beyond 
somebody talking very loudly on a stage, you know, obviously kind of performing. Right. Pathos, you know, just right. able to connect with right. audiences on a yeah. perhaps different level. Totally, totally. Um, and there's something you said that I was kind of making a connection, but this is a kind of propaganda. Yeah. Um, and it's in, in that line with also Paths of Glory, mm-hmm. right, uh, which I think draws directly from All Quiet on the Western Front. Um there's a scene that kind of has appeared in my nightmares at times hmm. where they're sitting in, in a, uh, a bunker and a sh- I think a shell goes off and then the top of the bunker kind of collapses and all these rats fall into their bunker and they mm-hmm. have to like take their shovels and just beat the rats to death. Yeah. Which I'm not sure you can see, show that scene in contemporary cinema, right. let alone 1930. Right. Um, so, Again, I, I I highly recommend the film. It is is very much a product of its time, but it, it is uh, yeah, it's a very important film to me too. Have you seen Sam Peckinpah's Cross of Iron? I have not. So I just rewatched that because I was writing about it in my most recent dissertation chapter, mm-hmm. and I'd seen it first maybe like five years ago or so, and I'd watch it once since then, but then watched it again, you yeah. know, two or three weeks ago. And for being late Peckinpah, mm-hmm. it's one of his final films. Yeah. It's um it's amazing. It's really, really good. He really had this kind of steep decline. He made like the killer elite, Rosterman oh, right. Weekend. Right. Like really kind of pieces of shit movies. Yeah. Um but among his last films, Cross of Iron for me really stands out as not only good amongst those in that stage of his career, but really one of the most powerful that he ever made. Um, and a lot of what you're describing in terms of like these bunker scenes and whatnot, just right. remind me of that and the power that he was able to. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I need to check that out. That sounds, that easily could have been a pick for helmet as well. Sure. But sure. we've got all quiet on the Western front mm-hmm. and we've got producers. The producers. So those are our runners up. Yeah. And, those and by the way, by the way, I just thought like if you want to go further, mm-hmm. you can watch most of the is it the third season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh-huh. where Larry David is cast to be in the latest Broadway production of The Producers. Yeah, with I actually forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So those two films could make a good double feature Absolutely. on their own, as Pal- we were saying earlier. Palette cleansing. Palette cleansing. Palette cleansing. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back. We're going to have our final picks creating a double feature around our word for this episode, helmet. All right, Paul. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. Welcome. Paul. Ron. We're discussing the word helmet. Helmet. And we are to the point in the show where we're discussing our final picks creating a double feature around the word helmet. Yes. You want to go first? I will go first. All right, take it away. What's your pick? And like our runners-up, I think actually our films would make a really great double feature on their own without the connection of helmet, because I think there's some stylistic similarities. Yeah, and it's actually interesting because our runners-up were both, in some ways, kind of war-themed. Yes. And we went that route with helmet. Right. And then for our finalists... We went a totally different direction with right. Helmet. So go ahead with yours. All right. So executive producer slash show owner, Priscilla, uh-huh. 
our guy Caballero. Yes, uh, has uh, has mentioned. Remember a few years ago, I, I did a blog post for your old blog. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she said because of that, that's why she was willing to endorse. Is that show. a fact? That is a fact. Because of your post in particular. Because of my post about this film. Okay. Right. So my film for Helmet is Young Blood. Young Blood, starring uh, Patrick Swayze, the Swayze. The incomparable. The incomparable. Patrick and I, Swayze. I have a love for Patrick Swayze, and I, I admit that as a heterosexual man. You might know him from such films as Roadhouse. Roadhouse. One of the greatest goddamn films ever made. Our, you, Paul said that. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's one of the I greatest. Have, I have the Bill Murray seal of approval. I don't Bill know. Murray agrees with me. And I, I, I challenge you, sir. Bill Murray, I have Bill Murray behind me, and Anthony Bourdain, and many other people who will testify, uh, but also Rob Lowe. So that's a strike against you, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. All right, go with it. Tell me okay. about Young Blood. Young Blood is one of the greatest movies ever made because it makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> On so many levels. Yes, both of our final picks are definitely in the same universe. It, it, it makes sense in its own tortured logic, but it is about a Western New York kid uh, named Dean Youngblood, played by, by Rob Lowe, yeah. who scores all these goals and gets, gets, gets signed with the Hamilton Mustangs of the Ontario Hockey Association, was supposed to be the Ontario Hockey League and junior hockey. Uh, I'm not sure what else to say, but it, it, it is like 80s cheese on so many levels. There's like, there's a love interest. I love how you come in here with your final pick and you give like a 30 second half description. I don't know what else to say. I got nothing. Just watch it, people. Just watch it. Young blood. Watch it. Tweet at me. We'll talk about it. Patrick Swayze praised the grizzled veteran and Patrick Swayze is in his role. He's like, clearly he's like 35. Yeah. But he's supposed to be like playing like twenty two, right? Um, there's there's some shenanigans because Dean Youngblood is like an up and comer. He's like the hot shot. Sure, the coach doesn't like him. You know, he has to go through like this rite of passage bullshit. Blah 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 blah. Um, it gets and I wrote this in the blog post. It gets so much wrong about its subject. It, it yeah. is remarkable that anyone did any research into this in any way, shape, or form. Uh-huh. Um. It is very much a product of the 1980s in that it is – you have to have like the, the, the arch villain who is named Bracky who plays for the Thunder Bay Bombers. Uh, he and uh, – he, he basically tries to kill Patrick Swayze by hitting him in the back of the head in his helmet. Wait, he's the villain and he tries to kill Patrick Swayze yes. because he's my new hero. Yes, yes. What is what – is, <laughs> you get the Swayze, man. <laughs> No, um, I'm hating on it. Yeah, you're hating Wait, was, on it. Uh, I, I'm going to embarrass myself if I was wrong, but that wouldn't be anything new. Mm. Was Patrick Swayze in Red Dawn, or am I thinking of somebody else? No, he's in Red Dawn. Yeah, because okay. yeah. I liked Red Dawn. Yeah. I think he's good in that. He's great And I that. do like Roadhouse. I was kind of shitting on it, but... Terry Funk, man. Yeah, Terry Funk's Terry in Funk. Roadhouse. I mean, for no other reason. No. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, uh, the sort, so Dean Youngblood has to learn how to fight. Okay. Because this is the 1980s. And this is like the weakness of his game. Right. He can this do the, everything but. He, he can score. He's he Patrick Taves. Patrick Taves? Or, I'm sorry. Patrick Taves. Jonathan Taves. He, he he gets accused of rape. Like Patrick Swayze. Like pa- oh, Patrick Kane. 
<laughs> no, I know. Patrick King can go to hell as hard as I'm But he's say. like the Jonathan Taves, where he, he's got all the skills, but he can't really defend he's, himself. He's more of Patrick King. Okay. He, he has got all the skills. He can't defend himself. He's the hot shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, it all comes to a head. He has to learn how to fight to protect himself, and there's a championship game, and he scored. And I'm, you can see these cliches coming from a mile yeah. away. So it's, Not he wins the yeah. game, and he fights Racky at the end, and it just... It just it just builds like this crescendo of eightiesness that has no regard for any logic whatsoever, and it's yeah. it's it's incredible. All I, right, yeah. I'll check it out. You should you should check it out. I'll check it out. Yeah. And I think you were right to say there are a lot of parallels between your pick and my pick. Mm-hmm. Mine predates yours by roughly ten years. Oh really? Nineteen seventy two. Okay. My pick is the Unholy Rollers. So obviously, Paul's pick, young blood. our word is helmet, hockey players wear helmets. Mm-hmm. My pick, the Unholy Rollers, it's about uh, roller derby in the 70s. Some of the players wear helmets, so that was my connection there. Mm-hmm. This film was produced by Roger Corman's company, AIP, so you kind of know right off the bat what you're getting. And what you're not getting, which is a good story. But if you're watching an AIP movie, a good story is not what you're in the market for. No. So AIP films were kind of historically categorized in the exploitation genre. Sure. Right? Like in general. And then if we're looking at kind of the subgenre under exploitation, we've got Roller derby in this case. Yes. So exploitation, I feel like, is one of those things that a lot of people kind of misunderstand. I had this ex-girlfriend who was Ron, just... Ron's had a lot of ex-girlfriends. She... One in particular... Well, so lie, one in particular who was just really, like, belligerent when it came to her views on exploitation movies. For her, she conflated exploitation with porn. And hmm. while some exploitation films do feature a lot of nudity yes. and uh, lurid subject matter, that's not always the case. No. Um, basically, exploitation movies were produced to kind of cash in on something that might have been a craze or otherwise popular at its time. So, I mean, and again, there were plenty of exploitation movies that were kind of like softcore. Right women in prison movies or, you know, these types of, like a lot of the early Pam Greer. Right. <clears throat> you know, I mean, where she's basically in an all-female prison in the Philippines or something. But even then, yeah. there's not, like, graphic sex or no, anything. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's implied or it's... Uh, yeah. yeah, or you might have, like, relatively scantily clad people. But it's nothing you wouldn't or couldn't see on, like, cable now. Right. For the most part. But anyway, you know, exploitation in general kind of cashes in on something that's a fad or a phase. And so this is Roger Corman's attempt to make some money off the popularity of roller derby. And in a nutshell, we've got Claudia Jennings, who was... That rings a bell for you, Paul? Yeah. Well, probably because she was Playmate of the Year in 1970. That would do it. That's where you saw that, her. That's, you know, my my knowledge of Playmates is... But she actually had, year. like, a fairly respectable <clears throat> acting career, this mm-hmm. movie aside. I mean, she was in a fair number of exploitation films, but I, if I am remembering correctly, she also appeared on an episode of The Brady Bunch, 
She was, what? you know, uh, yeah, on a few other TV shows and things. Huh. So she kind of got around. She died when she was really young. She was only 29. She got into a car accident. Mm. Uh, but she kind of made that turn, you know, like from playmate to somewhat respectable actress. So right. who knows what she might have gone on to do. Not that she had incredible acting skills, but that's what we're left with. Right. What she did. And The Unholy Rollers is one of the movies that she did. Basically, in a nutshell, the plot, she's working at a cat food factory. She gets fed up with her job. She quits, and she decides she's going to join a roller derby team. And similar to Youngblood in some ways, she really quickly rises through the ranks and becomes this star. She gets a bunch of, like, endorsement deals, and she's appearing on commercials, and she becomes kind of this local celebrity and basically, she gets too big for her britches and kind of alienates some of her friends and makes a bunch of enemies in the process. And that's kind of it. That's <laughs> it. Similar that's to it. how you hit a kind of brick wall in describing Youngblood. Right. That's what I'm experiencing now because there isn't a lot of substance, ultimately, to the Unholy Rollers. But again, that's not really its appeal. You're not watching this movie because you want this, like, deep meditation on whatever the evils of capitalism and the what the yeah but the, I mean, the, the, it seems like there's at least like some some attempt to like yeah like i mean of, i was saying that kind of like half jokingly because there is that kind of veiled critique because the supervisors at the cat food factory are kind of abusive and all of that you know right so she tries to escape into this other world um, initially, she's hazed and all of that. Like in Young Blood, and she kind of stands up for herself and becomes the star. But like in Young Blood, <laughs> so but this movie kind of checks all the boxes for me of like what a good exploitation movie. And when I say good, I'm using air quotes. What a good exploitation movie I, is. But, but, okay, I, I have a beef with that because I, well, we I got beef, think, Paul. We got beef. But like, do you need the? Do you need, like, to put the air quotes? I mean, if it's a good exploitation movie and you've established this is what it's trying to do, yeah. like, you know, th- then... I just mean that objectively it's not a good film, <clears throat> okay. right? Right. You're not going to put right. this okay. in the same category as Chaplin's The Great Dictator. Okay. So objectively... Which there are helmets in, by the way. There are helmets. We yeah. could have picked that one. Right. Objectively, it's not a great film. It's not going to win right. awards for its score or its acting right. or its you okay. know editing or anything. But in terms of exploitation films, it kind of has everything you want if you like exploitation as a broad genre. You've got bad music, cheesy music. You've got your share of nudity and awkward scenes that are obviously created to kind of include nudity. That's their sole reason for existing. Uh, there are plenty of continuity issues. There's one scene in particular where they're in a strip club and there's a band on stage. And if you listen to the music, it's just like a drum intro. Right. But when you look at the image of the band members, like the bassist is strumming and the guitar player is strumming. And so it's like, <laughs> there's a stupid stuff like that where, okay, Clearly, they're rushing through this. Like, they're pumping this out so they can get it into theaters to make some money off of it. Plenty of political incorrectness, which, again, is for people who like exploitation films, is one of their kind of charms in a way. Of course. You don't have to um, not endorse, but uh, condone. You don't have to condone what these movies say or do or are about. Mm -hmm. 
you just realize this was a product of a certain time, yeah. a certain era, yeah. and it kind of is what it is. And in retrospect, again, for some people, they have kind of a certain charm as a result. There are some really funny lines in the film. There's some kind of clever dialogue. Probably nothing that's going to make you laugh out loud, but I would say this film's uh, greatest feature is that there are tons of quotable lines. Like, there are things that, if you watch this with a friend, would instantly become, like, in-jokes. Gotcha. Which, for me, is one of the greatest things that not only exploitation films have to offer, but comedies in general. Yeah. Right? It makes it, it helps you kind of develop bonds with other people. You have this kind of shared secret or this thing that other people don't know about. Right. I would, either, it's funny because I would say that about Youngblood, too. It's not on the level of Slapshot. Where in the hockey community, people can quote Slapshot you know, to, to nth degree. Right? right. There are There is like a sort of absurdity to to Youngblood that is appealing. Right? It is so cheesy. It is such a product of its time. It is... I remember writing about this on your, your blog piece. One of the few clips on YouTube is of the climactic scene in Youngblood, which I deconstructed it like almost scene by scene <laughs> or shot by shot. It, yeah. it is over the top crazy. It has yeah. like, it's crammed with every possible cliche you can imagine. Um, like, yeah, but that, to me, that's there's, like, there's a charm to that. Yeah. It's just, it's so crazy and out of control and nonsensical that you just kind of let yourself have fun with it. Yeah. You know, in the first episode, I was griping a little about some of the uh, inconsistencies in. Westworld? Yes. With the robots drinking Yeah, whiskey some of the robots and... can drink whiskey and other ones will <clears throat> blow up if they have water. Right. And it's never explained why that would be. Mm-hmm. In a movie like The Unholy Rollers, you don't really nitpick it in that way because you realize it is what it is. This movie is crazy. It's not going to make sense. There are going right. to be continuity errors. It's going to be offensive on some level. But it's not trying to be anything more than that. Yeah. If you watch something like Westworld, and as much as I love Westworld, right, that's a serious film. So when you see things like continuity errors or things that kind of logically don't make sense, it's just easier to kind of not only notice them in some ways, but also hold them against the film because it's kind of presenting itself as a work of art. Right. Whereas this is absolutely not. And to its credit, I think. So here's a weird question, like related, like is roller derby in at its peak, like the seventies, eighties? Was it was it was it wrestling? Was it was it staged? I honestly don't know. I rem- huh. I think uh, some of it probably was. If you in this film, the unholy rollers, actually, you hear the derby like promoter kind of coaching them on where to fight on the track so that the camera gets it and stuff like that. Um, so I think it probably depended. I'm sure there was some legit roller derby happening but i'm sure some of it was kind of like pro wrestling i don't remember or i don't know if you remember this show Uh, i think it might have been on like saturday mornings early afternoons it was i remember it because i would watch like wrestling then yeah saturday mornings and it was a show that came on either before or after but it was essentially like a wrestling version of roller derby yeah i remember it was like clearly a performance and scripted but there were like characters and things yeah so, yeah, I mean, that definitely existed in roller derby, and I don't know enough about roller derby's history to say, you know, I don't know, to get any more specific than that. 
But I can only assume that there was probably some legit roller derby okay. happening too. Yeah. I mean, there is now. We know that. Right. So. Which I've never been to. I've only gone once or twice, but it's actually kind of, I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I went with um, my friend. Do you know Shauna? Yeah, I went with we went, we went to uh, the first. Oh, that's right. Yeah. There, yeah, I went with Shauna, and she knew something about it, so she was at least able to kind of explain to me the rules and whatnot. And once I understood that, it was actually like pretty cool. It was okay. it was a good time. Um, but other than that, I don't. You know, I'm not an expert on roller derby mm-hmm. history or anything. But the unholy rollers, my recommendation for helmet helmet. Paul, your recommendation was Young Blood. Young Blood. Young Blood. So another, they they would tie together perfectly. I think it, I, I agree. Feature. Another great double feature created by us. Created by us. I think we're two for two with our main events. We are, and for our runners up, for that matter, they both work. Basically, this is an amazing podcast. It is. That's it's the greatest. It's the greatest podcast in history. Let's spin the wheel. We need to generate a new random word new for random word. episode number three, which will be coming up in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So let's spin it. Am I doing the sound again? Yeah, you got to do it, Paul. And stop. Inquiry. Inquiry. We've landed on the word inquiry. Inquiry. I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y. Lots of possibilities there. Here's a question I think we've discussed. Like, can we do, like, alternate versions of the word? Like, you know, to inquire? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think as long as you're kind of sticking true to the spirit of the word that was generated. All right. Because that's really part of what we're doing here is kind of creatively interpreting the word we're given and then making the case that our film connects to that word. I like so it. That's I think, a good one. That's yeah, a good one. We'll yeah. see what we come up with for next time. All right. I want to thank everybody. And I'm sure Paul will join me in thanking everybody. I, I, I concur. For uh, joining us this time, the second episode of Random Tandem. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at RantanPod, that's R-A-N-T-A-N-P-O-D, and on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash RantanPod. I'm going to try to talk Paul into taking over the Twitter account. I can take over the Twitter account. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about I'm it. I'm good at Twitter. I know you are. I'm good. I know. I know. I'm not at all joking. I'm totally Thank you. serious. And iTunes. You can find us on iTunes and subscribe. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Hey, I heard this awesome podcast. Yeah. You might like it. Tell everybody that Mikey you know. Mikey likes it. Tell every, literally everybody Everyone that you know. you've ever met in your entire life right. that they need to subscribe. If you're on the Facebook, tell people on the Facebook. Yeah, well, that's something actually we need to talk about is whether we want to create a Facebook page for this. And I'm thinking no, just because it's one more thing. <laughs> ain't we, nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. We can, you no. can handle a Twitter. I can, I can, I can handle the Twitter. Yeah. No problem. So for now, find us on Twitter at RantanPod. Remember, our word for the next episode is inquiry and... Inquiring minds want to know what, what we'll come up with. We'll come up with. So tune in next time. Find out. Until then, the balcony is closed. <laughs> All right. Can Thanks. we get sued for that one? I don't think so. No, we're good. We're good. All right. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.